Welcome back to the Crypto Circle podcast, guys, and welcome to episode 11 of season three. On this week's episode, we've got Mr. X back on the podcast after a long, long time, August 2021 to be more specific, and I was really, really looking forward to having this conversation with him. If we even just go back to August 2021 to start with, it was a completely different time in the market. Bitcoin had just bounced off its summer lows, altcoins were flying, Solana summer was in full effect, and we were all optimistically bullish on the crypto market. Now, obviously, things have changed drastically since then, and Mr. X's bias, as you'll hear on the podcast, is very much dictated by the macro environment. But it was very interesting just to get his thoughts on how he's viewing Bitcoin and crypto over the rest of this year and 2023 and how he's going to be allocating his capital as a result. I always find these conversations with Mr. X really insightful because he brings a breadth of knowledge to the table. He's been involved in asset markets from an institutional side of things for many years now. And even though he's left that side of things, he still maintains a keen, keen interest. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode and I hope you guys take something positive away from it. And here's a little snippet from Mr. X himself to give you a little taster for what to expect. You can get lost trying to avoid inflation when you go into an asset that drops 50%. So it's like, okay, you were trying to protect from a 10% inflationary period in an asset that's falling. Do you think in 10 years' time the world will have grown? If you honestly think no, then sell everything, you know, <laughs> sit in cash, stockpile ammo, cigarettes, guns, build a <laughs> bunker. But if you think, yes, the world will have grown in 10 years, then allocate capital. How we doing, boys? We're good. We good, yeah? We're good, we're good, we're good. We're good. It's been a minute since we've had this guy on. <laughs> it's, it's been a minute, but it seems like a lot of minutes. A lot of minutes. So lot. I had a look, I had, to, I had to scroll way down on Spotify to find the last episode that we did. So the last episode we did was August 2021. So it's actually coming up to like almost a year now, really, since we last spoke to Mr. X. And uh, he's here with us today. So how are you doing, buddy? I'm all good. I'm all good. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice again, man. It's good to hear you. I'd like to say thank you for having me on. I think the correct term is probably a whirlwind since <laughs> in the markets <laughs> yeah. anyway, since we last spoke. For sure, man. Let's just jump right into it. Let's give a little bit of a life update. What kind of what have you been up to over the last kind of year or so? Is everything okay? What's been at work? Everything like that? How's everything going? Yeah, as you know, I intended to take this year as a sabbatical, for one for a better word, or time out the market, I should say. No active trading, or no meaningful active trading, I should say. Uh, so yeah, I've been focusing on health. I think we spoke briefly on it the last time or two. I like to try and trade the, the four-year cycle. So I have three years of pretty easy-going markets, trending markets, one year where markets fall or chop or whatever term people use nowadays for a bit yeah. of headwind. So I fully intended to take the year off, which I have done, focusing on health and fitness. And as we all know, during a bull market, most people turn up for the last 12 months of a bull market. But if you've been there the full lot, it, it does get exhausting. Not to say you kind of want it to end, but having a cool enough period is necessary in everything. So yeah, I've been focusing on health, fitness. I get up. I'm getting eight hours sleep now compared to three or four hours sleep for the last three years. So, I envy you, um, mate. I envy you. <laughs> I've been, yeah, I've been focusing on that. Like I said, I get up, go to the gym, back into motocross and all kinds of good sports like that. So 
just taking advantage really yeah lovely man i've seen on your twitter you post about like time to lift those weights so you can carry those bags over the bear market (laughs) (laughs) yeah i started that joke in the back end of last year i think 2021 (laughs) or certainly into the new year but yeah i i I do genuinely feel like it's a good time to pivot into some health and fitness just to kind of recharge it gives you at least an hour a day of focus on an hour a day of an escape if you will from whatever you, you do generally so I am very guilty of putting money first or the market first and obviously health and fitness takes a back step when it shouldn't be like that really so at yeah. least in crypto we have a a year or most people soon enough realize there is a, a year where you get a time out and there's not really that much point in sitting behind the screen for 18 hours a day mm-hmm. so it's a good time to, to focus on that yeah so I started joking around saying that, you know, get strong, <laughs> increase your your one rep maxes so you can carry them heavy bags. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mate, let's, I want to go back to kind of when we last spoke, to be fair. I, I want to I cover quite a few points and topics here, so I'm going to be trying to be as quick and, and efficient kind of covering all these topics. But let's go back to like August 2021 when we last spoke, which was obviously just from the top of my mind, August 2021 was a pretty positive month, I think, in the crypto market. We'd just come back off that terrible summer where the whole market dumped. And I think altcoins, Sol was having its Solana summer. You know, ETH was doing quite well. Bitcoin was kind of heading back to those highs again. And we jumped on the podcast and we were still quite optimistic, if I can remember, about Bitcoin kind of going to new highs. Kind of what changed for you in Q4 2021? What really, what was the catalyst for kind of what we've been seeing over the last five months for you? Good question. So, I mean, first of all, I fully expected a bit more volatility to the upside in the closing mm. part of the cycle, as I'm pretty sure we discussed. As we all did, mate. As we all did. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, I, I genuinely do subscribe to this four-year cycle, which I, I, I'm also sure you guys do, and so I assume you guys still do, I should say. But yeah, I, I just kind of, you know, stuff felt a bit exhausted. I started more being protectionist. You probably noticed on Twitter, just like towards the year end, I started not being bearish. Well, yeah, you know, by, by joking around saying the year is not, it's now the year to short the bounce. You want to be selling the rips, not buying the dips. It was more that exhausted feeling. I, I was from, from buying in December, 2018 at like three and a half thousand. I was well aware that, you know, I wasn't going to push the, the time model, if you will, you know, we, we, yes. Okay. The Fed could have continued on its ridiculous easing policy and pumping liquidity into markets, and then we probably would have gone higher than 69,000, albeit artificial liquidity. So the macro pictures changed massively so, and I, I almost feel like there's a lot of talk in this regarding pricing in, that good old meme of pricing in. Some people believe in it, some people don't. Certain conditions mm-hmm. make me believe in it, certain conditions make me don't. But I ultimately think it's almost like the Bitcoin supply shock, right? Yes, some of it will be priced in, but ultimately, until it starts happening, aka the rates rates are raising at the moment, uh, and they look to continue so throughout the year. But the actual real shock comes when the Fed starts decreasing its balance sheet, right? There's even yep. chatter of them starting to sell mortgage-backed securities as well. If they or when they start unwinding, or I guess it's still if for now, then there's a there's been a massive entity that's been buying all these all these debt instruments out the market. When they become a net seller, 
I think it's hard to 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 remain bullish on risk assets in general. So, including property, you know, if they start selling mortgage-backed securities, I almost think that's a bluff at the moment. You know, they, they kind of speak it in to to try and settle the market before them before they need to actually step in. But yeah, I feel like to go back to the question, just a, a lot changed very quick. We also had COVID, so I, I don't think the Fed would have continued its crazy policy without COVID. COVID gave the perfect excuse for every central bank to continue or to double down, should I say, on the, the quantitative easing and the structure that we've known in markets since 2008. So, you know, that's such a such an epic asset price inflation since 2008 to today is because of or is largely down to what the Fed was doing. So if the Fed are going to start reversing what they've done over that period, Maybe I'm a simpleton, but to me, that just screams, you know, on a, on a very simple basic. Fed did X, market went up. Fed are about to do Y, market probably goes down. Yeah, um, simple as that, mate. Pretty much. I mean, again, I'm not a macroeconomist, although I've studied bits and bobs throughout my time. But yeah, I think that the Fed was, is obviously a massive factor. Nobody can ignore that. But also the, the time model that, that I work with in Bitcoin, I, I was fully expecting the market to exhaust at the end of 2021 and 2022 to be a bit of a, a washout, albeit we haven't seen as deep a washout. Well, okay, some alts, yeah, disastrous, but for, for large caps, we haven't seen anywhere near a route as what I would have expected, considering by my estimations, we're probably halfway in, we're probably closer to the bottom now than the top. So yeah, the, the time model was my main thing. I'd sprinkle in the Fed and the macro picture. And then, yeah, I don't think it takes... Again, it's easy to say now, but again, you follow me, you, anyone who does follow me, I would, even on the Telegram group, I was quite vocal about staying solvent, staying liquid, making sure you're prepared. It's probably going to be more efficient selling rallies than buying dips. But from mm-hmm. the back end of last year and, and certainly into, the, into January. So yeah, I think... I don't like to overcomplicate stuff. We've said this before. I kind of keep it simple, stupid is is what I always like to say. Mm. Just sticking with that, kind of just quickly staying with this macro picture at the moment, you were talking about the market pricing these kind of events in. Now, when it comes to the interest rates, you look at like the kind of the futures market and where they're, where they're pricing in the end of year kind of Fed funds rate to be, which is at like 3%. Things like that, I feel like the market has priced in at the moment and maybe even overpriced to an extent if you look at like the bond market and things like that. But like you yeah. said, things like QT, it's very similar to the Bitcoin halving. You can't price that in. It's something that actually has to happen in the market. The Fed has to actually take liquidity out of the market. So that's not something you can essentially price in. That's something that the market has to adjust to, right? So I think mm-hmm. when they start with this QT process in June next month, I believe it is, they're going to start unwinding by like 30 billion and work their way up to 90 billion. That's dollars being pulled out of the system. So that's going to, you know, that's going to tighten financial conditions. It's going to make the dollar scream a little bit more higher. I think I still think the dollar's got a little bit more legs, which is crazy right now because it's sitting at like 103, 104. <laughs> it's, wild to, it's wild to see the dollar appreciating so much in value. I guess the next question from here I had for you is, where the hell do investors go in this kind of environment? You know, inflation, we just got inflation out of the UK today at 9%. Where, where, where do people go? Equity markets have been battered. Crypto has been battered. Commodities are probably a play, but they're quite volatile at the moment. Where, where, where do people mm-hmm. go? It's a good question, and I think I refer back to almost a trading point where sometimes no trade or no position is still a position. Like you, you yeah. know, people people fret, and again, big capital is always allocated. So, from pension fund money, which obviously is something that I used to focus on, they're buying up 
government debt, so they're buying, they are buying bonds. However, I think there's a common misconception, certainly in crypto, right? And it's like that almost that Ray Dalio uh, thesis that cash is trash, which, you know, over time, 100%. But like a lot of people try and escape 9%, 10% inflation, 20%, whatever real rate people want to claim it is. Inflation's insanely high, and it's going to be based on the policies. So I almost feel like you can get lost trying to avoid inflation when you go into an asset that drops 50%. So it's like, okay, you were trying to protect from a 10% inflationary period in an asset that's falling. So I think some people overlook cash. So, you know, cash is a position. Not having a position is a position. So the hardest part about trading, and again, we almost talk in tandem about trading and investing, but investors don't worry about it. It's an opportunity zoom out. You're, if you're an investing in pension, you're typically investing for 30, 40 years. Why would you care what a 12-month period looks like in a 40-year period? It's pointless. But as trading or short-term or crypto, for example, most people don't think past 12 months. I, I feel like right now, it's not stupid to be in cash. Yes, cash is inflationary and you are losing purchasing power for, say, daily. But if, if the, uh, the other options are assets like, you know, look at even big Big stock names, you know, 70, 80%. In fact, tech sector crazy. stocks are down far more than crypto. It's That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, totally crazy. crazy. So I think I think it's easy to, to forget that having no position or being neutral or being hedged is also a position, you know, sitting in, if you had a portfolio of, say, 100,000 and now 50,000 of it sat in Tether or USDC or physical cash or money in your bank on deposit, that's also a position, right? Mm. You can say in that cash position for six months, if markets, if markets trend lower over that six months, you've, you've protected yourself, right? Forget inflation, because yeah. you're always subject to inflation anyway, living in a fiat system, for want of a better word. So yeah, I feel like at the moment, personally, my trading portfolio, I risked off as I was covering in the Telegram and on Twitter. Uh, but investing, I, I said on last time, I have I have completely different outlooks with different parts of, of capital management. Uh, and investing, I, I couldn't really give a rat's ass one for better terminology uh, about what's going on here and now. Do I believe Bitcoin will be higher priced in today in five years' time? Absolutely. Am I smarter than the market? Absolutely not. So long time, over time, keep capital in- invested. Make sure you have enough means for daily consumption. I always say six to 12 months living expenses. You should always have, if you're investing in high volatile assets, as a fallback plan or just, just for genuine liquidity and solvency. So if you're in that position, then you can ride out the storm. If you're just investing, keep investing, You know, keep doing your monthly contributions or whatever it is you're doing. And for traders, it's a period of shorting rallies, right? Bear market rallies are, are some of the most volatile. I think I think the stat is the single biggest daily gainers happen in a bear market. That's stocks and crypto. So you'll you'll get monster days. You you know there's still plenty of volatility out there for traders. Personally, for me, I like to sit these periods out. They're arguably easy, easier to trade or as easy to trade. But for me, I like to use it as a period to recharge. So yeah, again to circle back to the question. I think people need to remember that having no position is a position. Sitting in cash is a position. But again, if you're in a good position, then buying. I haven't owned stocks since 2018, right? But I'm looking at investing back into 
into a couple of equities just because I feel like they're good value right now. Does it mean, yeah. does it mean they can't go lower? No. You know, the market could continue trending down for 12 months. I mean, if, if the Fed continue, if the Fed does a two or three year tightening period, the market could drop a hell of a lot from where we are today. But again, simple, simple thesis with investing, what we used to discuss with clients is, do you think in 10 years time the world will have grown? If you honestly think no, then sell everything, you know, <laughs> sit in cash, stockpile ammo, cigarettes, guns, build a bunker. <laughs> but if you think, yes, the world will have grown in 10 years, then allocate capital, right? It's, it's really that simple. I think people overlook it. Certainly in crypto, you know, the sensitivity to volatility is ridiculous when, like, you should know that you're in the most volatile part of the investing spectrum. So mm. hopefully that answers the question <laughs> in a ramble. No, no, I did. It did very well, yeah, yeah. Just, just going back to the four-year cycle theory, it's funny because obviously we we were so stringent with sticking to that, and then we kind of thought, mm, no, it's not. And then I was doing because obviously six nine k in November just didn't feel anything like a top, you know, compared to mm-hmm. what we'd experienced in the past, and 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 just just the nature of everything. We all thought, nah, this isn't it. This is not it, right? And I was I was doing some look, some kind of back testing the other day, and it was basically spot on. I think give or take a week or two here and there, but in line with the four-year cycle. So, and I think it's only in the last, probably the last fortnight where the majority of people have thought, okay, right now, now we're in a bear market. I don't know if it's to, if it's kind of reality hit home or, you know, the whole lunar thing just highlighted everything exponentially. But do you feel that, again, we just continue in this four-year cycles? Because I think after... We, I'm not saying we're the first ones or anything, but we noticed that a lot more people started talking about market cycles after we released the blueprint and whatnot. So obviously, it was becoming a lot more prominent in, in you know, just just the awareness in 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 the space kind of thing. So do you feel we just continue in this four year up and down, and then the micro the macro environment has a little more or a little less, depending on what's going on, effect on the market? Should we say on the crypto market? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, so the macro question, obviously, there's no point in rowing a dinghy against the tide. The flows that are in legacy markets far dwarf that of crypto. And so in that sense, again, if, if for example, the Fed continued tightening, let's say for four years, just to, to fall in with the cycle, then it's very probable that crypto will stay suppressed for that whole period. Therefore, the four-year cycle is being valid. However, the, the, the cycle's... In in legacy markets too. Now, personally, everything seems to suspiciously happen around the same periods, right? Which forge these cycles. So, I do think that crypto will continue in a four-year cycle. I almost think us as a collective or crypto investors, or, or, or certainly more, the average crypto investor just wants to buy a meme coin, just wants the number go up. You know, they're not actually interested in much behind it. It's the when the bear market hits, people start preaching and looking for answers why, right? And start being more methodical in their investing. So I feel like these periods, what we feel like is obvious or that everybody's kind of onto, I don't think on the bigger picture they are at all. So yeah, I, I would say whilst Bitcoin remains the big flow driver in the market, I feel like the the cycles will revolve around its halving. Again, it's almost like that halving almost works as uh, as a liquidity constraint, similar to the Fed for crypto. So, 
I, I do feel like it will run in a four-year cycle. However, there are macro factors which could push headwind, which could slightly derail that to some degree. However, I don't know what you guys think. I cannot personally see this tightening cycle lasting any more than 12 months. I feel like the Fed acted way too late. So now they're trying to get rates off zero. They're trying to get real the, the real rate after inflation into some kind of positive territory for the sole reason is they understand it's going to push the economy into a recession. But that way, once if rates get up there uh, and they start tightening, then they have something to bring it back down again. So they have a cushion. Right now, if we, or if they don't do anything, we end up going into a recession anyway, and the Fed have no bullets left in the gun. There is no option. There is no life raft. So I, I could be wrong. I'm, again, I'm not a macroeconomist, but I suspect that what the Fed is doing currently is just to, to get off zero, for want for a better word, to use Barry Silver and Grayscale's gold Bitcoin uh, argument. The Fed need to get off zero so that they have some cushion as we go into a recession. That's what I think. So, yeah, I believe the four-year cycle will, will prevail for a couple of years yet. You know, crypto is still infantile. I'm not, I'm not going to necessarily preach like, how early the space is per se, although on a, on a bigger picture, of course, it's early, you know. But I don't think the average person or the average investor that had money in crypto this cycle is even aware of anything other than refreshing that portfolio and seeing what the number goes up or number goes down. So, yeah, I, I do feel like the four-year cycle will prevail. As you said rightly, I think, well, just roughly off the top of my head, within a month, it was four years since the last top, so it's kind of eerie how, how, it, how it does work. And therefore, you know, I would kind of expect the rest of this year to be a bit choppy, maybe more downwards pressure. But ultimately, I think anywhere from here, from today's price down, it is a good accumulation period, certainly if you're holding for the next five years plus. Do you think we stay below 20 for a prolonged period, should we say? Not like a little in and out. No, I, no, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest we stay below it for, mm. for a good length, of, like stay suppressed below that price. However, you know, there, there is potential lunar, another lunar debacle. There is, there is all kinds of hidden risks. You've got the Lido, the STE pressure, the, the, the peg decoupling on, on all that state ETH. There is a few headwinds, and again, we spoke about it enough time. There's so much hidden leverage in this market. It only rears its head when something snaps, when the shit hits the fan. So, again, I didn't expect the top to look like like you said yourself. I didn't. I, I was sidelined for one for a better word, or caught off guard. So I'm kind of banking that the, the bottom is nothing like the the, next, the last bottom. So. Typically, we draw down 85% from the peak. So, yes, that would take us below 20K. However, we've also never been below the previous all-time high in a cycle. So there's a lot of unknowns. I wouldn't phase anything out. And again, I think I tweeted this morning, if we see, if Bitcoin's 85% off its high, that's perfectly normal. It's within reason for volatility. So again, I wouldn't be betting on it. Like, I'm not going to go and rush to find all my hardware wallets and, and dump my investment stack on the basis that I believe we're going to go and trade below 20K. Absolutely not. If we get below 20K, I absolutely will deploy capital into the market. And again, you know, I think it's almost 
it's almost no man's land here in that regard because the, the, the typical cycle that we've seen other than, the, other than the, the yearly basis has kind of been broken. The fact that we had, it's not a double top because we broke the highs, but all that, that topping structure, that, di- that distribution period pretty much, which what 2021 was now, between 30 and 60K range, that, we've never really seen that before in crypto. That's more of an S&P 500 type, type structure, right? So is the market maturing? Yes. Are institutional investors in? Yes. Is the market more trading like the S&P? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting question. I would not be surprised to see Bitcoin under 20K. I'm not going to bet for it. And I also wouldn't, if, if you say someone theoretically sold at 60,000, I think you're a bit stupid if you're not buying a 50% discount. If if somebody did sell above, or you know you're sitting on a nice tidy profit, we know over time any fifty percent drawdown in Bitcoin, you could you could also argue ETH is always going to be expected value over time, right? So if you buy every fifty percent drawdown, give it a couple of years, it's going to be a good trade. It's going to be a very wise investment. So it's possible we trade at those levels. I wouldn't expect to see. I wouldn't expect the market to stay suppressed under those levels for too long. If it is, it, it, again, it, it's a golden opportunity, right? If we'd have recorded this in 2018, I'd have said the market isn't going under 6K. We bounced off that support for so long, and then eventually when it, when it snapped, you know, I was buying at 6K, I remember. And then when it hit three and a half, I liquidated all my ices. Every, everything I had, I, I was plowing into the market. And in the office, people were laughing at me. You know, I was working in, in legacy markets at that time. So... Oh, you're buying it. It's just dropped 50%. You're buying it again. You're a fucking idiot. You deserve to lose it all. You You can imagine what it was like. Um, I've heard that before. And then who had the last laugh? So, you know, uh, I feel like any period now is is value. You know, Bitcoin 50% discount. If if 99% of people were happy to buy it at 60K, as soon as it drops Mm. to 30K, oh, it's going to 10K, bro. I'm just going to wait. Okay, fine. Is 30K the new 6K? I said 40K was the new 6K. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I tweeted that one as well. So is 40K acting like the new 6K? And then shortly after we, we Luna happened uh, and we fucking, we destroyed that. So uh, again, uh, there's, there's, I don't know, it, the conditions have changed. You guys can even notice it from trading, right? Just, just watching a yeah, chart yeah. on, say, a 15-minute chart. I mean... It's painful. I, I, I'm not actively in the market, but I check check the charts regularly, you know, every morning, every evening, and throughout the day, as I'm sure every one of us does. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just me on the sad phone. But you can watch it, and I'm like, I feel sorry for anyone trying to day trade this, you know, like swing trade it. There's good levels, clean levels. It's still, still easy to be profitable in these conditions, but it's not as easy as how it is when the market's trending, right? So Very true. Very true. Okay, mate, we've talked about Bitcoin a bit. Let's hop over to ETH because that network has probably seen, let's say, sustained network activity since kind of the back end of last year through the NFTs and things like that. Obviously, we've got the merge coming up later this year, which I assume you think is not going to happen on time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) <laughs> Probably. What's your view on ETH for the rest of the year? Obviously, I'm guessing it's just the same as Bitcoin, seeing as the whole during bear markets, the whole market is kind of pretty much correlated. But I kind of want to get your views more on the merge and kind of please talk a little bit more about that because I don't think our listeners are really clued in as to what the merge is and what that means for ETH, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, again, good question. I've kind of always been, I'm not bearish on ETH long term at all, but I'm bearish on 
beast improvement proposals and what i mean by that is whatever the ethereum foundation uh, pitches you can fucking stick five years on the end which has been true for this right we joked around i think last time the, the merge was two <laughs> months off and i said ah, it's not happening for another couple it's not <laughs> happening until a bear market i if it was me and i was anywhere in charge i would delay it 12 months on the basis that if anything goes wrong at all in these low liquidity Liquidity conditions, it's going to be disastrous, not just for ETH, mm. for the whole market. If, if there's mm. any knee jerk panic, it's going to be fucking disastrous. The Lido situation is potential pressure or a pressure point in the market that could be exploited by big money. I tweeted a little bit about this. And again, I, 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 again, I'm the same position as I was originally. I have no money exposed to ETH 2.0. I hold ETH, I mine ETH, miners are still running. So I'm involved in the ETH ecosystem massively, although I'm more bullish on Bitcoin over time. But basically, when ETH 2.0 happens or Beacon Chain goes live, or is live, I should say, but eventually ETH will move from proof of, proof of work to proof of stake. I'm not, all, I'm not a big fan of proof of stake. I think it, it de-democratizes the blockchain. It, it, it will, over time, enrich the early founders and the early holders far more than anyone that's wanting to get involved. So it kind of ends up being the, the devil that they're trying to replace. Well, effectively, Lido, I believe Kobe had something to do with it. If anyone knows who Kobe is, very, 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 very successful investor in crypto, angel investor, probably a billionaire, UK guy. Anyway, I believe he, had, he was the architect of Lido or was certainly involved. And what it is, is it's a... If people, are, quite a lot of your listeners are into Solana, there's liquid staking on Solana. It's basically a derivative or a liquid version of ETH. It's called STETH. And it basically allows you to get exposure to the chain whilst retaining. So you stake your ETH with them, they give you a derivative of ETH. So you can technically stake your ETH and then still use your liquid ETH. You could then swap it back to ETH, whatever. So it's, it's a highly leveraged position on Ethereum. So similar to Luna, I'm trying to keep this dead simple. Similar to Luna, it's there there could be pressures put on this this artificial derivative peg. If so, I, I'm not fully aware of the details, but it becomes another pressure point in the market. And if there is a delay, if people start rushing to sell one or the other, I'm not sure of the details, but again it, it it's it's just another risk factor that, that's rearing its ugly head. So do I think the merge will happen? I'm going to stick with my original thesis is not yet. I, I think it would be stupid to expect it this year, just based on, again, I always work on history and data. So it, everything is always delayed. It will happen eventually. I don't actually think proof of stake will be generally good for Ethereum, but that's a topic for another day. So yeah, I, I, would, I would bet money the, the, the merge is going to be delayed again. But I don't, it might have a knee-jerk reaction, but I actually think it would be better to postpone the merge and wait for conditions to be a bit more, let's say, bullish. For example, if the merge happened last year, ETH could have run up 100% in a week, you know, on, on the basis of all that FOMO and all that hype factor. So now if the merge happens, you're probably going to see a 10%, 10 move with that. Mm. So. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm sure the developers don't really care about the price in that way. But I feel they like sold the top a wider... <laughs> they sold the top for the last two cycles, mate. So I don't think, I think they're chilling. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy, right? They're definitely chilling. <laughs> 
But no, I, I, the merge, will it happen? It will happen eventually, but I think it's sensible to be sceptical of any timelines these guys throw. And plus also, we're all humans, right? They're, they're developers. They're building very, very complex. They're, they're, they're walking a path that's never been stepped on before, per se. Obviously, there's proof of stake chains that exist. There's all different... There's all different algorithms that govern these chains, but the merge from proof of work to proof of stake is a colossal task that's never been done before. So I think it's only sensible as an investor to expect headwinds, to expect turbulence, uh, and to expect delays. I don't think it's I don't think it's it shines bad on them. I actually think it's a bit naive for them to put dates on stuff in this kind of market. Personally, yeah. Again, sure. it opens up another risk factor, right? I was going to say while we're on each subject. Is that my question to you is basically how do you think that with everything going on with ETH being that the last cycle or four year cycle we weren't too heavy or popular with NFTs, how do you think that has an effect in this particular bear market? Do you think it just you know it's a lateral dip along with the market, or do you think all of that in the metaverse and everything like that has some type of effect using Ethereum? A good question. And, and again, I, I almost, so I've not looked too too far into it, but somebody asked me on Twitter the other day and he made a good point. If you remember back to 2016, 2017, all these ICOs, they all kept their war chest, uh, their treasury in ETH. They only started selling it when ETH was like below $500. So nobody was interested in taking any risk out of the market or securing the devs funding when ETH was $1,400 or trading near that. They only started selling ETH at 500. So then all, all of a sudden you had this collective absolute war chest of Ethereum that these people were relying on as treasury to pay the bills every month. All of a sudden start to see the price going under what they obviously thought was a pressure point. And then they start liquidating on mass. That's one of the reasons why ETH went so far down relative to Bitcoin was because all these ICOs raised so much capital that was held in ETH and there was no treasury management. There was no risk management. You only have to look at the Ethereum Foundation to see that those guys do it properly, which you would expect. You know, they always, <laughs> within a couple hundred dollars, whenever they send a massive transaction to Kraken, it usually is, whenever they send that and sell, you look back <laughs> on 12 months and think, motherfuckers, that was the pico top. That was the signal to sell. So I feel like NFTs, I don't know the scope, but I'm sure there will be some data out there. I'm sure that some of the on-chain guys can find it. And I'm sure if I sat down or any of us sat down and went through it, you'd also find it. I feel like the risk with the NFTs is not necessarily NFTs themselves because they're, excuse my French, they're fucking illiquid. So you go on OpenSea now or looks rare or whatever, you'll see other than the blue chips, there is no bids. There is no liquidity. So I still have a collection of, NFTs I was buying, just stuff that I actually liked and I had made ton, uh, made plenty of profits from flipping NFTs. So I kept a few, had them printed and put them in a the house. But though, if I want to sell those now, I can't. I can't go to the market and take a bid, right? Unless a user's waiting to buy that piece and there's rest in order, a rest in bid, I can't take the liquidity. So even if I want to liquidate the 20 NFTs I hold, other than the blue chips where there is, there is still liquidity, I can't go and accept a wrapped ETH order. You know, I can't list it at one cent and it will sell. I could list it at one cent, but it's never going to sell because there's no there's no liquidity in that market. So I don't feel like NFTs themselves are a risk. However, the projects that launch, say, a 10,000 PFP collection, the ETH that they raised from the mint, where is that? What has that been doing? 
Is it still in ETH? Have they covered their costs? Do they intend to sell that ETH? That a bit of analysis, it could be crucial because, for example, let's take theoretically, ETH starts going down to 1500 back to its previous all-time high. That's probably going to be a point where people that are sitting on a big ETH treasury start thinking, hmm, fuck, if this drops another 50% from here, we can't pay the fucking bills. We better start pay- We better start liquidating some of our ETH, managing some risk, and we better start holding some dollars. If that happens, then again, you've got the exact same situation as 2017 ICOs. You've got these companies that haven't managed risk. A lot of the people that are running them are not experienced. And I don't mean that in any bad way, but I mean, they haven't really seen markets. They've never been investing in any other markets. So they're holding, they're probably still holding massive amounts of ETH. Whatever their pain point is, that could become a risk factor. So I feel like that's the biggest risk with NFTs. Of course, NFTs themselves, you know, I see a few people saying, oh, wait until the NFT boys start realizing the fucking shit's worthless and they start cashing out. They can't cash out. That isn't a risk. They cannot cash out. Only blue chips can cash out, which I actually seen the other day. Now, the biggest volume on OpenSea is Rakti's. So that means that more people are accepting bids, aka trying to find exit liquidity, than are selling them for the, 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 the advertised price. So there is definitely a downturn in NFTs. I think volume's down 93% roughly on OpenSea. But I don't actually think that NFTs themselves pose much of a risk just on the basis that there's fuck all liquidity there. So you can't sell, there's no downside pressure. I couldn't sell a couple of these NFTs into ETH and then liquidate ETH. The, the real risk is the, 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 the companies like Yuga, for example, the people that, that made the collections, where is their ETH? Is it still sat in a treasury? Do they have any ongoing costs to service? What's their pain point where they start where they need to start liquidating? I'm sure someone's working on this now. If not, there's probably a thread on Twitter right now that tells you the biggest, the top hundred NFT sales and collections and what their treasury is doing. Right? This is all easy to find out. It just well, easy but time consuming. So there could be some alpha there if you wanted to spend weeks and weeks and weeks going through that and and, and trawling and trying to find some data, but. Yeah, I think that's a, it's definitely a risk. But again, the, the NFTs themselves, I, I don't really think are a risk. Solana NFTs are, in a, are going crazy right now. So same thing with that. What's your thoughts on, like you just mentioned Yuga Labs, for example. What's your thoughts on that Yuga Labs almost monopolizing, if that's the right word, the kind of NFT industry mm-hmm. by buying up all these like big blue chip names? What do you think about it? Is that, is that good for this space or is that bad? Like we had this discussion like a few weeks ago, remember Amish? Like yeah, whether yeah, that's yeah. like... Whether it's like truly decentralized or not, is it or is it just centralizing the NFT space too much more? Yeah, I mean, basically, what we were saying is that if NFTs start becoming their own asset class, does Yuga become like an LMVH equivalent? Mm-hmm. And surely that strengthens the overall picture because then a lot of these PFPs have even more clout than they would have just standing alone, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, I, I, I'm sure I've seen something on that, actually. Yeah, like Yuga trying to become the next Louis Vuitton, Bowie Hennessy. I, I honestly, go ahead. You know, they can only try. If they fail, the market will learn. I'm a big believer in, like, free markets. Let it almost, if they become a monopoly and, and then stuff starts going downhill, the market will do its work. What I mean by that is the market will 
or those collections that that company's bought up might start trending down. Eventually, the company goes under. It doesn't exist anymore. The market returns to some kind of normalcy. So I think it's, I think it's possible. I'm almost pretty sure that's their intention of Yuga is to become the household name of NFT and like digital flexing. I'm not so sure whether I would. I, again, I, I'm kind of quite open with that kind of stuff. I'll let the free market decide. If people want to keep putting money in these guys' pockets, then go ahead. I think the cat. I, I feel like I feel like Yuga might have already peaked. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate for saying that, but I think that that other side, the the the, um, the most recent drop they did was a bit of a shambles. Mm-hmm. I, I was happy because my East production went parabolic for the couple of days that they were doing that. <laughs> but again, I I almost feel like that that's peaked. Yeah. But again, Yuga becomes a pain point on the market, right? What what are they doing with all that funds? Because obviously the funds are raising East. Are they sat in ETH? Have they liquidated it already to USDC? That's what's great thread on Twitter the other day. I've actually put it in, in, in the new blueprint. So it's almost like you have a huge, the mint is like a huge, literally blow off top. And every subsequent thing they try and do afterwards is literally just a lower high if you put it on a chart. Because yeah. they, they make a little kind of run and a little bit of thing. But again, no one's talking about other side now. So they never really be able to, to live up to the original board ape thing and i think if anyone you could look like they're the ones that they could be typical of that and it's almost like the harder they try they're never going to create that i mean mutants are great i think mutants were as good a secondary you're ever going to get but i I wouldn't disagree with with the top being in for for yuga and now we've said that you know what's going to happen so just just very quickly (laughs) vitalik's posted a massive thread earlier i think yesterday or today where he outlines the sort of short-term decisions that need to be made to to almost you know secure the long-term vision for for ETH, and those short-term decisions are have a bit of a disconnect with what with what they want to achieve in in the long term. I know you're not a fan of Sam, and I think a lot of people are understanding why more and more so. What are your views on on Vitalik? Do you, do you kind of yeah? I'm just going to leave it there. What what are your views on on Vitalik? I, I like. The- I feel like he's a uh, he's completely different. He's fucking wild. But I, I, I disagree. I I don't know. It's it's. I, I find it hard to see the the value of this proof of stake. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I feel like proof of stake is almost to satisfy this ESG narrative, um, which we all know. I mean, the recent global political events kind of blew that whole that whole fucking narrative up. It's bollocks. It's uh, in my opinion, of course. So I do feel like the he's at least he's being honest, right? At least he's saying the short term or the in the short term we're going to deviate from what the long term goals are. But he's also kind of giving himself. I haven't actually read this thread, so it probably would have been handy if I'd have read it. But yeah, sorry, I got sent off at two in the morning and I read it like early this morning. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I almost feel like that comment kind of gives himself. He's now kind of opening up a reason to fall back on. Does that make sense? If, if something does go tips up. But generally, I like Vitalik. He's, he's different. He's not afraid to try something different. He's, he's, in, he's a galaxy brain, as I like to use the word. Who am I to say he's wrong? It is my opinion. You know, sometimes you have to let smarter people than you and just follow. I'm still invested in Eve. I haven't. My, my ratios are pretty much the same as they were last time. So it's not like I'm hedging back more into Bitcoin. I'm still exposed to ETH. But yeah, I do. I feel like that those kind of comments are 
when someone suspects something might not go as planned so that they can then deviate, okay, you know, the last 12, 24 months didn't go as planned, so now we're going to go back on our long-term target view. But for now, I have to trust these people much smarter than I am, so I'm, I feel happy with holding ETH. I don't have any exposure to ETH 2.0. As we said last time, I would rather let the kids play in the sandpit and then see what value is left afterwards. Same with Solana we spoke about last time. Same with ETH. I don't want to stake any of my ETH. I don't want to stick 32 ETH per, per validator up. I'm just going to let to see how it play out and then make some moves afterwards. And again, like I said, same as what I said about Solana last time. I would rather let all the fireworks happen and see see what happens when the dust settles. So hmm. it's, it's it's an interesting time for sure. But I, I'm not... Again, I, have the, I see the value of Bitcoin and proof of work, so I don't subscribe to the ESG narrative. And, you know, it's crazy to me. ETH should stay proof of work, in, in my opinion, but we shall see. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. It, it'll be, it's definitely a pivotal point of the, this, this very fresh industry, for sure. Mm. On our first podcast, I remember you saying something, and that it's always stuck with me. You, you said something like, liquidity is a coward, and it can turn on a two-pence. Yes. I love that line. And no, I still remember that. I remember saying it now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love that line. And it's very, it's, we're kind of living through them times right now, right? Like we're going through Absolutely. illiquid, illiquid markets. And when you look at, when you look around, crypto is the most illiquid market around when, when you're looking at global markets, right? And like you said, you, you, throughout this podcast, you've highlighted very well the pain points and the pressure points and the risks which kind of hang over the crypto market at the moment. And obviously we saw one blow up last week in Luna. And you put in your telegram last week and we've kind of echoed it a number of times to many people we've spoken about that this Luna, the whole debacle, whatever's happened, it's, it's up there with one of the biggest events in crypto. Like like you said, BitMEX 2020, BitConnect. What else did you say? What, what was the other end? Mount Gox, things. It's, it's up there, man, uh, if not the biggest. Definitely, yeah. 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 How do you think this all ends in terms of Luna? Do you, th- do you think it's just going to go to zero? It's just going to wither away? You know, they're, they're still that, um, I don't know what they've done with their Bitcoin. I think they've had to sell like 80K worth of it or something, 80K Bitcoin mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know how much they hold, whether they've, what, what, what they've sold, what they've not. That's obviously a risk. There's like a bunch of Bitcoin hanging over the market, which nobody knows what's going to happen with it. Yeah, how do you see that all developing? And obviously just to add as well to that, I think it's quite interesting that we've had a crypto event for the first time that's had this contagion effect on the rest of the market, on the, on the global markets. We've yeah. never seen that before. And that's really fucking interesting. And it just kind of shows you that the crypto market is getting bigger and it's having more of an influence on, on global markets. But yeah, how do you see this, this lunar picture developing? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like we said at the intro, it's what a fucking wild time in, in crypto. So first of all, yeah, liquidity is a coward. It's always there. When you don't need it, and when you need it, it's never there, right? It's a fact of any investing. So people that don't understand that, what I mean is Luna, prime prime example. Whenever you need liquidity, it's never there. So now when you need liquidity the most, it's not there in the ecosystem. Whenever you didn't need it and everything's hunky-dory, nobody ever utilizes it. So yeah, liquidity is a coward in every market, not just crypto. Uh, One of my favorite lines too. Uh, And Luna, I mean, Number-wise, I looked at the numbers not so long ago, actually. I think roughly it's fair to say it was about $80 billion worth of implosion or value ripped out the market, Band-Aid ripped off, whatever you want to call it. 
Crazy. which to give you context, mo- most people listening to this are probably from the UK. Northern Rock, arguably the UK's biggest financial collapse, other than the pound collapsing when George Soros shorted it, which was actually very similar to Lunar Attack. But Northern Rock, I think it's fair to say, are most people, certainly most people that, that are living today anyway. <laughs> It was the biggest event in UK history. Most people, I would assume, maybe you guys' parents, most people listening, parents had some kind of exposure to Northern Rock. We all did in the end, every single taxpayer in the UK. So the numbers on that was roughly £25 million, to so call it 30, uh, £25 billion uh, pounds of destruction. Roughly, what, what's that, roughly in my head, 31, $31, $31 billion dollars. So to give you a scope, the biggest financial crisis in one of the world's leading financial centers was $30 billion. Lunar collapse pulling $80 billion out of the market. So to say it was a disaster of epic proportions is an understatement. It was fucking, it's crazy. Most, fortunately, I I had zero exposure to any of it. I was actually debating putting about 100,000 in USD. Again, just, just to see how it went. I never actually did. So I, I thank my just pure luck, you know. If, if that had gone on for another six months, maybe I would have been caught with my pants down with 100 grand in there. But yeah, the number-wise, it's we can't deny it. it's one of the biggest events in crypto. It's also unfortunate that stable coins have been so harshly scrutinized at the moment, or, or they have been for the last 12, 24 months, and then this happens. It gives, it, again, it gives the regulators a massive attack vector you need protecting. Look at what happened with Lunar and UST. Uh, we need to make sure that we protect the investors so this doesn't happen again. All that stuff. It's also got it caught funds off guard as much as retail. So yeah, retail got fucked. Uh, anyone with exposure got fucked. But let's not pretend that massive, like massive, we haven't even seen the real fallout yet, but massive funds from 3AC uh, all the way through the VCs were exposed to this. You know, Mike fucking Novogratz got a tattoo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about Mike, you know. I forgot um, about Novo. Damn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, none of these people, that we, I mean, Sue, Sue and Kyle have from Three Hour, three hour Capital, but, you know, this wasn't just exclusively the plebs. Some of the most savvy investors in the space and VCs, they've been fucking burnt too. As you said rightly, they had a war chest of around 80,000 Bitcoin. They sold most of it defending the peg. I believe the latest report is they have 313 Bitcoin left. So Bitcoin absorbed a shit ton of of pressure. And I don't mean this to offend anyone that did get burnt by that, because I know a few people did get burnt. So I received, when I put up a message saying, if if you want to chat, like DM me, a few people did. And it's fucking depressing to hear those stories. But I have to say, and just being frank, it's better it happened now than fucking the year or two's time. If that had got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, I mean, it's disastrous now. But, I mean, look, Bitcoin's still above 30K. I don't know if it is right now, but, you know, just theoretically speaking, Bitcoin survived 30K pretty well, I think, considering it had 80,000 coins sold at market effectively. I'm not sure the technicals of how they sold it. Maybe there was a swap deal, which would have been stupid because if they're going to defend the peg, they should have been market buying. So 80,000 Bitcoin were sold at market in a very short period of time during very tight liquidity. Again, it's an event that further further adds a catalyst as to why I am so bullish on Bitcoin over time. 
So I feel like the Band-Aid's been ripped off. It's better for the market, better for the wider space for it to happen now than for it to happen in like two years' time when the accrued value is like in the hundreds of billions. But yeah, it's a, it's a fucking disaster. I almost feel like Duquan fucking made his own bed. You know, the amount of shit he was saying online, the amount of like, I don't know. I just feel like if I was sat there with like, a hundred billion, let's say, as a family office, I'd probably be like, mm, yeah, let's fucking target this prick. Like, you know, I'm not saying that's what went on, but he definitely made, he made a target. Again, it's all targets, isn't it? So someone, someone's always bigger than you, smarter than you, and faster than you. So correct. he was thinking he was the champ, calling people. Like we all was fucking joking around saying, have fun, staying poor. But do you know, that, that shit's going to come around and bite you eventually. But... Do you think it's a concept that can catch on, this algorithmic stablecoin? Do you think it can work? No. No. No, no I don't think so, no. I mean, well, <laughs> let's watch what Justin Sun does. <laughs> <laughs> He's got carbon <laughs> coffee running, hasn't he? USDD. Yeah. Nobody buy that, by the way. I mean, again, Ponzi's are all well and good, right? Most things in crypto are Ponzi. Look at that Step M app on Solana. That's a fucking Ponzi. If you're in early... You can make a shit ton of profit and get out. Like loads of people did that with Luna and even UST. A lot of people that shield you. I remember that I'm not going to name the names, but there's a female on Twitter that was quite a big proponent of it. And I remember she was quite public about selling everything and she'd changed her mind. This was fucking a week before the thing imploded and started depegging, like literally a week. So. She must have made a fucking fortune, right? Anyone would have made a fortune. I remember CZ, I said on Binance, they effectively from like agreed deals, I think it was, the numbers are a bit rough. You'll find them on CZ's page. Their seed investing and whatever and the monies they made, it cost them about $1.3 million. The total value at the top of their holdings of everything from their investments and their, their fees from trading and whatnot was about $2 billion. Now it's pretty much zero. So, you know, the value creation to destruction was fucking insane. So mm, some people will have made a fortune on that. The person that was that did, like, I don't want to explain too much because we're not still sure 100% what happened, but how, they ex how the person executed that attack, for one for a better word, was fucking genius. Like, it was... They were moving pools. Liquidity was low. They played him at his own game. You know, they they off they they that per, whoever was selling him the bitcoin was doing it to receive UST. To, so they had a war chest of bitcoin still, and then a war chest of UST. He's fucked. He snookered himself. Like he was literally giving away his collateral. That then someone then has like billions of dollars in UST that they can just start unleashing at the market. Like. Pfft. He, he caused his own bed, I'm afraid. Like, and unfortunately, everyone, like we, we don't know the full details of the fallout from that. I, I genuinely believe we might see a few funds go under, or certain. I mean, fucking hell, Jump Capital defended them heavily in the first DPEG, didn't they? DPEG before, and they doubled down. So there'll be some bum twitching going on in Jump Capital, I would imagine. <laughs> Irresponsibly wrong, mate. <laughs> Irresponsibly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the title right there, man. That's the title right there, Mish, for the for the podcast. <laughs> your guy, um, your, your boy, yeah. Oh man, my guy, my guy got my guy. That, that video has been that video has been doing the rounds, man. I actually watched the podcast because they they released the full episode like a couple of days ago. Yeah. Bankless, it was on, and you see the moment when when he tells him he's like 
He's like, what, what was it at when you when we first started recording? He's like, oh, around 98, 99. Yeah. He tells him it's at 92 and his jaw just falls to the fucking floor, mate. That was <laughs> that was the last time to exit as well. <laughs> literally, literally. No, I know, I, I, I said to you, I said to you that he, he had a business partner called Remy, Remy T-Tot or something like that. I think he's yeah, yeah, his yeah. Bit, a real, real vision business partner. And honestly, I've been following the guy for like a number of, probably the entire year. And he's just been like relentlessly bull posting about Luna. And it got to a point where Luna was just like over a hundred dollars. I was like, you know what? Fair play to the guy, man. He got in a bit early and he's just been shit posting about it relentlessly. But mate, he went quiet over the last couple of weeks, should I say. And he put a little thread out, I think last week, just coming clean and saying, mate, uh, I lost a lot of money. It is what it is. Stay strong, lunatics, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, man, I think it's, it's a crazy event, man. I, I still can't believe. I was with Amish last week in London when, when it was happening, literally, because it all happened over two or three days, right? Mm-hmm. And I was with him on one of the nights and I was like, yo, Luna's down like 70% again. And it's just and that was day on day on day. I've, I've never seen nothing like it. Do, do you feel Luna ever recovers? Because we saw we saw a couple um, of people yesterday taking a punt at I don't know basically zero point zero 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 one, and it went sold at zero point zero zero four. And I mean, if you put mate Riz was day trading it, like so making much money in that. Yeah, and you're like, well, so, so much money. Yeah, so you're pumping like a thousand percent off off the lows, and then they, and then it yeah. drops ninety nine percent. I mean, yeah, if you're catching those swings, then. Poof. Yeah, you can retire in a couple of days, but <laughs> again, to, to circle back, I don't think Luna in its current form exists. However, we see quite often in this space, they, they do a recovery plan or something comes out of the ashes. So if, if that was me and I was sat left holding the bag, say I had like a UST holding or Luna holding, there's fucking nothing to do. You've got to sit, wait, see if anything happens at all, see what the recovery plan is. Obviously, it's wise to, to write it off. But I, I would assume most people have written that off now as, as, a, as a very expensive or very harsh lesson. But I don't think Luna in its current form or its past form comes back. But we've seen stupider things, right? Fucking Safe Moon and pure vaporware. So I, I wouldn't be fucking surprised if it bounced back to $100 next cycle. But I, oh I think the wise thing to say is it's not is like in its current form it's dead it doesn't mean they can't resurrect it or build something else from the ashes but i won't be buying it put it that way <laughs> yeah i don't think a lot of people will, but their, their reputation has been destroyed let's just say that yeah and, and their brand image has been destroyed but yeah i want to come on to one of the final topics mate i want to get your thoughts on kind of elon and how he's been going about things at the moment in in kind of his his pursuit for twitter i know you've been posting a few things about it on twitter as well there was a video that came out a couple of yesterday i think some ex-Twitter engineers talking about yeah. what it's actually Veritas. like internally. and cra- Yeah, Veritas, you're crazy, man. There's, there was a couple of videos, actually. I saw there was one with, like, an Indian guy. There was a few videos that, that dropped yesterday that I saw. How do you think he's playing this, Elon? Because he's, he's playing mind games, isn't he, a little bit? He, he came out last yeah, week yeah. and he, the, the other week and he said he's going to buy it. Now he's saying he's, he's holding back because he's not sure how many bots are actually on the site. I saw he did a, he did a podcast with, there's a, there's a podcast that I watch called All In Podcast, and they had Elon Musk on yesterday and he was like i actually so twitter are claiming that on the platform five percent of accounts are bots elon musk thinks that number is four to five times that so he's trying to get it down Mm -hmm. to a lower price to to pay for it to pay Mm -hmm. for it how do you think this transition happens do you think it's it's, it's good for twitter do you think it's you think it's bad How, how do you think about that 
first of all, I think it's vital for Twitter. Twitter is a cesspit of censorship. And as you say, I've watched those Project Veritas undercover videos on the dates, and it's pretty disgusting, to be fair. But again, I, I you know, I, we all kind of, everyone knows, every single social media platform is censored. We knew that. COVID made it more obvious. You know, you could post a certain document about something and it was always tagged as misinformation, even though it would be from the, the manufacturer or whatever, you know, it was crazy. I think COVID was the first time period when these fact checkers, well, they actually came after Donald Trump, didn't they? But I think that was the first period when people thought, hmm, like, but we in the West think we have freedom and democracy, but we're actually fed as much propaganda, not as much, but we're actually still fed a lot of propaganda and censorship and like pushed thinking than we all like to believe. So I feel like Elon's take of Twitter would be very valuable for Twitter. I'm, I would even err on the side that if it goes to shit, then Twitter is probably not got much value unless they push through changes that Elon wanted to do anyway. So unless they start becoming more transparent, which they've immediately started doing already, you know, the number of bots has dropped. I've noticed it from my small profile. The feed options now, you can choose whether you have an advertised feed or your actual people you follow. So Twitter, I feel like Elon is playing 4D chess. He's a fucking genius. He's a yeah. smart guy. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows how to get there. So I feel like he made that bid to get the juices flowing. And then he also knows that in the SEC filings, the official regulated filings, for anyone that's not aware of the SEC, in the States, they explicitly say less than 5% is bots, right? So if if there's evidence that they know over 5% is, if, if they've lied effectively, then that's a fucking, they're fucked from a regulatory perspective. They, are, they have lied in their regulatory filings. So Elon will get a cheaper price. He's the buyer of last resort in that situation. So he knows exactly what he's fucking doing. I'm sure he, I'm sure he had an idea of how this would play out or an intention, should I say, before he does stuff. The guy doesn't make a move without it being like all tactically planned. So I'm sure he knew this. I'm sure he's probably put money to someone to, to do a rough estimate. Uh, and, he, and he's playing the game. He's playing 4D chess. He knows, he, I think he genuinely does love Twitter. I think that's yeah. first and foremost. And I think he's genuinely a bit annoyed as I, I feel like a lot of people are, regardless of what your political opinion is, like, I, you know, some people are, oh, but you get hate speech. But, like, free speech is free speech. Whether I don't like you or you don't like me, I still believe you should have the same opinion as I do, the same right to, to say I'm a dickhead, and I should have the right to say you're a dickhead. Just because two people don't get on or, or you know, two, two political people have different views, you both, even if it's... Even if it's some crazy extremist side, they still, in my opinion, just my opinion before anyone gets offended, should have a right to free speech. It's literally the core of democracy. So to watch people saying, no, we shouldn't, or you have free speech, you just have to say what we want you to say. I mean, it's crazy, right? I, I hope that if anything, it kind of highlighted to people that still doubt stuff. I mean, Obviously, if, if it matches your political bias, then you, you, you're happy with Twitter as it is. I use Twitter as it is anyway, but I do feel like Elon was intentional. He knows exactly what he's doing. I feel like it would be Twitter would be a great. Well, you could buy it, but Twitter would be a great in a great position after those changes. Just basic transparency, you know. And yeah, yeah. But anyone that's not watched those Project Veritas videos, as as Dylan rightly says, watch them. They are 
crazy. Like even some of the stuff on there, what I was watching, I was like, the, the investigators must be good because the guy on the most recent one that's come to light, who is the, he's a Twitter exec. He literally, he shows an email on a phone that's from Twitter, like HQ security team saying like, be careful of Project Veritas. <laughs> like they're trying to arrange dates with people and then they secretly film you and squeeze information out of you. He fucking wow. shows this in the interview. <laughs> like, you, know, wow. you can see, he, he gives him the phone so the camera can read the, the email. And, and then the guy says like, you're lucky that you met me organically because I will be questioning everything about you. So, you know, again, these people are a bit, He's calling Elon dumb, the guy, while sat there in front of an undercover reporter who's videoing everything <laughs> he said, and he's literally calling Elon dumb whilst showing a warning email about people recording him undercover. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, but I, I think that sums up the world at the moment, you know. I mean, the biggest red flag was the, the US government effectively making a ministry of truth. I mean, what is it? Is it the USSR? <laughs> The USSA, like, this is crazy. Like, we're living in crazy times for sure. For sure, man. For sure. All right, bro. Last question I got for you. I think it'd be good to kind of to ask you this and get your, for you to reflect almost. What are your, what are your biggest takeaways? What are your biggest lessons from the last, well, I guess we can call it the last cycle now, the last bull cycle. What are you going to take with you into this, into 2023, 2024? What learnings are you going to take away from the market? Yeah, good question. I'm actually relatively satisfied with how I've performed and my actions taken from an investment think, and trading perspective. I think, I think one thing you mentioned to me, mate, was you weren't aggressive enough with some of your alt plays in, in this mm-hmm. cycle. You, you kind of sold them a bit too yeah. early. You were a bit, you were a bit yeah. more safer with your BTCE. So maybe that's something, yeah, but yeah, go and crack on. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And it was what I was about to lead into where overall I'm, I'm, I'm very happy I, I, I performed better than I thought I would. And I actually stuck to my guns with taking risk off, buying things in the real world that I wanted to achieve and, uh, and do. So I'm happy I, I stuck to the plan, which is everyone that's listening to this can, can attest. It's easy to get influenced by external biases and not stick to your plan. But this time I stuck to my plan. Okay, Bitcoin didn't go anywhere near as high as I wanted same I wanted to sell a little bit higher but I was still vocal in selling ETH at like 4500 plus selling all my you know the revenue from it so again I'm glad with that next cycle what I would do different is I want to get back into the aggressive alt plays so again it's easy what I don't like is when people tap dance on the grave form for better words so it's like oh I'm glad I didn't fucking get in Luna it's dropped 99.9999% yeah but actually was a very prof like that that everyone forgets in 2021 solana avax and luna was like the blue chip play right anybody that bought any of those pairs in 2021 was printed fact way more than bitcoin and eth went up so it's like those people that oh i'm glad i didn't buy bitcoin it crashed 50 percent. yeah but it's not thousands of percent like you can't have that mindset <laughs> so you know, it's true, isn't it? Every time it crashes, anything crashes, people are like, oh, I'm glad I didn't buy that. But like, okay, pond, like full-on Ponzi a bit different. But like for me, I, I, I fucking, I sold solid like $12, $11, you know. I, I Cardano was my best altcoin play. I literally sold the fucking Pico top and I bought the Pico bottom in 2018. 
But other than that, my alt plays, I purposely didn't want to engage in alts, which I didn't. So again, I'm glad I stuck to my plan. But next cycle, I'm going to be a bit more aggressive. You know, I've I've done the defensive cycle, which actually played well because I feel like this cycle in general was a bit more defensive. Yeah, it definitely yeah. wasn't as mad as 2017. Maybe that's a trend and that continues, but who knows. So yeah, uh, you, you're exactly right. Next cycle, I want to be way more aggressive. I'm... I spoke in the Telegram, but I'm definitely looking at Solana as like, I feel like Solana's here to stay. Not Brilliant. necessarily that I agree with it and the problems, but I do feel like Solana's here to stay. I wouldn't be surprised to see Solana do like a, a 2017 ETH type run. So like, let's say, let's say it has bottomed, maybe it goes to $20, but assuming it's bottomed around here, like 40, 50 bucks. I wouldn't be surprised to see Solana up over a thousand bucks. So the same as like how ETH ran in 2017, you know, next cycle. So I'm definitely looking to accumulate Solana and add that into my core portfolio of ETH and Bitcoin. And then I will also play alts more aggressively. And I was going to ask you guys a question at the end is we had like the altcoins, meme coins, NFTs that blew up this cycle, NFTs being the big differentiator from past cycle. Do you think all that happens again? Or do you think something else that we're not aware of yet blows up or becomes the next thing, like music NFTs are taking off at the moment? But do you think there's another trend that hasn't been designed yet that, that will come up next cycle? And if so, what, what do you suspect would that, that, that will be? I'm going to say what we already have gets better as far as NFT coins and different things like that. I think from every cycle so far that we witnessed, it's always been something new that we weren't aware of. So maybe, and this, you know, this is just my personal thoughts, is so far in the past couple cycles when it's came to whether it be crypto or even the NFT space, Gary V's been pretty much right. So I think that I'll pay more attention to what he's saying this time around because he was pretty much early in a lot of things that, you know, has come out. I think also, too, I'll be more open to things that I didn't understand as far as when NFTs first came out. You know, we were kind of like, yeah, what about this? What about that? And then it turned out to be like a really, you know, a serious thing. But we were just at a place of lack of understanding so as far as what would be new that would come out, I can't sit here and like, you know, pick out one thing that I think would be new, but I just think I'm going to keep more of an open mind to what would happen. But I think the things from the past would kind of develop a little bit more now that we have more data set and more information to go on as far as NFTs. Because remember at one point in time, it was, DeFi, And I don't necessarily think that that's went away. <laughs> I just think that more things have become a little bit more popular. So it's not so much about the fact of things happening or not happening. I just think that where the mass is going to gravitate most of their energy and capital to is probably how I would play it. But I mean, if you say music NFTs, I can't necessarily disagree with you on that because I do think that that will be a thing. But who knows? Who knows? Interesting. I think I think artists are starting to understand how to utilize NFTs in terms of sales and stuff. And I think you, I think it will become the norm. I think as soon as you get one or two of these big brands, these big bands, sorry, not big brands, jump onto it, then it will it will really kick off. 
ironically that works better for independent artists because they don't really get much from spotify and stuff but i know snoop put one of his last projects out as an nft and stuff but again with music it's difficult because if you don't buy the cd you can still listen to the same music so i don't know how that works i think that's just if you want to actually support the artists as such so i don't know i don't know with trends at the moment it's, it's very difficult i think we're in the period where the building exists i think this is the best time to build and then mm. in the next when we start seeing the run-up those ones who are best positioned and have been building during these kind of not so volatile periods should we say those are the ones that will will pick up from there but yeah watch what very gary v says and, and just take a punt and you, you won't be too far off yeah you know i tend to kind of agree with that as well like I personally don't know what the hell, what, what what's going to come around next cycle. Like you said, we had NFTs this cycle, we had DeFi, we had all this cool stuff. I have no idea what's going to come around the next cycle. And to be fair, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not a Gary V. I'm not a visionary. Like you said, though, I'd rather <laughs> let the kids I'll, <laughs> I'll let the kids play in the sand, and then you know, and and then and then see what values left there afterwards. You know, I'm not going to jump straight in, and I'm not, I'm not going to call like, oh, oh, we're going to see this be the next thing or that be the next thing. But I do believe that kind of what we were talking about the other day meme coins are probably here to stay like if you just look at the people still in the space they're still like, like you said like like you always say there's still tourists around there's still like yeah. just dumb people around who are going to plow their money into anything so i think meme coins will still be i think we'll have this crazy alt season still for the next couple of cycles but yeah I th- I, it's interesting that you said you're going to add solana to your core portfolio i never thought you'd add anything to, to your bitcoin and ETH like core kind of positioning so that's interesting to hear you say that yeah for sure i mean you have to move with the times and I actually spent a lot of time this cycle like I said the last time I, I wanted to just observe see where I think the value is and I mean it's it's, it's it was more it was been apparent this whole cycle there's so much developer work going on on Solana again I, I have to kind of accept that you know Bitcoin is my core that's my philosophy I believe in like the the economics of Bitcoin if you will hard money principles whatever and I wouldn't even say Solana almost is like an Amazon web server, <laughs> but it's got crazy products going on there. There's there's all kinds of interesting stuff on there. And th- those different technologies, they're not trying. Like, I think people in crypto feel like we, we kind of tribalism and they're tribalistic to a project. Like, I don't really like the word crypto. I think Bitcoin needs to be its own thing. You know, Bitcoin isn't crypto. Bitcoin is fucking bitcoin it is what it is it's like it's hard money that's like setting concrete it's going to do its thing it's going to it's going to survive an apocalypse it's going to be here but crypto as a whole i think now has got to the maturity stage where it makes sense to to not just be dead blinking like i'm a bitcoin maxi to the core but i allocate capital in the market i'm not fully ignorant to think that that like bitcoin does its bitcoin is money if you will in a digital system, and and I feel like the the values aren't yet understood. What once once money, as in cash that we know today, goes fully digital with CBDCs, then people will realize the true value of Bitcoin. You know, how do you go and buy a bag of weed if your country has weed illegal? You use cash right now, right? You're not going to use a fucking CBDC, and the government knows that you've sent fucking ten pounds to a drug dealer. Like, you know, there's always a need for private money. That's true, but people don't realize that yet. You know. You're in a strip club or whatever, and you don't want them. You don't. You don't pay for stuff on a card, do you? If if you've got a missus at home, you know you you go to the ATM before, and then you get cash. You know that that privacy factor of peer to peer. 
people that don't realize that yet and the true value of Bitcoin won't ever be realized until we're in that system, which hopefully is a good few years off yet. Well, that surveillance state is coming and, and will happen. And that's when Bitcoin becomes powerful. But all the other projects, I feel like it would be naive to just shrug off, right? Solana's got crazy development stuff going on it. Yeah, it interests me the most. I, I'm not really sold on AVAX. And I, I have, it's what I've been doing this cycle. Like, like, like Dylan, you said, I wanted to take a step back, see what happens, and then allocate some good plays as to what I see growing and you only have to look at the hacker houses and all the events that's going on on Solana and actually talk to these people, you know, like all right, devs are almost sometimes like hard to talk to, to be polite, but look, go and jump in some discords, jump in some telegrams, you know, like it, there's a lot of passion and activity going on on Solana and there's a lot smarter people than me betting and, and building in that space. So it's kind of like ignoring East in like 2016, 2017, you know, uh, and again, it's kind of like ignoring ETH now. Like ETH is still a hive of activity and just crazy stuff going on there, which I feel like has the potential to shake up a lot of big industries. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to look. I, when I say add to like a core holding, I, I'm talking of like 5%. So again, relative to ETH and Bitcoin, not much, but still I think it's getting close to that time where you want to make some some plays eventually in the next six months if you're not already allocating capital. And I, I think Solana will has a good future as things stand now. Now, I, again, to take that liquidity comment, turns on a two-pence. This could all change in two months. But yeah, as I've been spectating this cycle, I do like what Solana's doing. I don't agree with some of the VCs that are in there early, but obviously, you know, they're, they're there to make money. So I'm not going to ignore the reality that there's a lot of activity going on on Solana. There's a lot of users on Solana like the NFT craze is arguably better suited to Solana than Ethereum. Yeah, there's, I, I feel like there's going to be value there eventually or, or even now. So, yeah. yeah. I want to say one last quick thing because I did give it a little bit more thought. And I think it's something that kind of maybe maybe it was too obvious or maybe we didn't mention as far as when you were asking, like, what do you think would be next? As far as, like you say, music, I think sports will have a lot to do with the crypto space coming up as far as now you see like FTX and crypto.com and a lot of these people, Coinbase even, partnering with a lot of sports teams. I think that sports, not that they feel like maybe they missed the wave, but I know with as much money that circulates in sports worldwide, I think they want their own thing. And I know some teams have, you know, small coins and different things like that. But I think that the sporting world is going to take a huge drive forward, maybe in the next three to five years in the crypto space. It's just my guess. And what do you think of move to earn games? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you see a future in that kind of stuff? I don't know how they maintain the business model. I think that's, that's yet to... Uh... Ponty, be established new users <laughs> basically yeah. yeah flavor of the month i downloaded that step in app yeah you know, they're quite yeah, yeah, yeah. That for the moment quite a while ago to be fair and again I, if i'd have actually bought the sneakers and done it i probably would have been com sitting comfortably now but i feel like that's almost like another lunar pending as in if you look at the tokenomics those i eventually think someone will make this a protocol like this that does work but like $150 to do a 40-minute walk is, you know, it relies on new people coming in. So, yeah, but I do, I like the concept of, of those moves to earn. So, yeah, 
it's interesting that you say sports will be a big factor because I'm sure if if some or once the development goes in that space, those move to earn protocols could be interesting as well. Pretty good in a bull market, to be fair, right? <laughs> you probably earn a good, a good bit of money in a bull market, man, going out for your runs. It'll be pretty good. There'll be people running like it was lockdown again, mate. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it'll be good. It'll be good. But anyway, Mr. X, pleasure, mate. Pleasure to have you on. Good to Thanks catch so much, up with man. you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we really appreciate your time, bro. We'll leave, we'll leave your Telegram and your Twitter in the kind of description of, yeah, the, yeah. of, the, of the episode so people can follow you. Make sure you follow this guy, man. He's got a lot of really good opinions on the space. Next time, space we'll, for a next time, time. probably be at the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next time next time we jump on, hopefully it'll be the beginning of the next bull market. So let's see how we, how we do. Yeah, for sure. Plenty of opportunities to come. Well, thanks again, as ever. Always a pleasure to speak with you. All the best. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Take it easy, bro. Take, a bit. Take care, guys.